On today's Locked on Jayhawks, we take a look at maybe some early surprises, takeaways from the KU basketball season. Look ahead to the Duke game in the Champions Classic tonight. Going to be joined by Nick Schwert here on this edition of Locked on Jayhawks. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Today's episode of Locked On Jayhawks. Derek Johnson here, uh, going to be joined by Nick Schwert, as you can see on the video if you're watching on YouTube. You can also find us wherever you get any of your podcasts. Thanks for making Locked On Jayhawks your first listen every day. And on this episode, we're going to be going over some KU basketball. Uh, early season takeaways, maybe some surprises from this point. We're going to talk about the Duke game. I don't want to get super heavy on on a preview necessarily. It's been two games for both teams. I don't want to be like, oh, well, Duke is you know 29th in the country in defensive rebounding rate. Can you imagine what that'll do against the KU Center? But you know, we'll get into some stuff with it, uh, and then I have four football questions to finish up with Nick on this edition of the show. So two games in for KU basketball. Uh, last game looked a lot better than the first game game did. But has there been anything that has surprised you to this point in the season? I think the one thing that surprised me is they've manufactured offense a little bit easier than I thought they would. That was my biggest question coming into the season was where are the points going to come from? You know how Bill Self likes to play offensively. You want to get shots near the rim. And I just wasn't sure how these pieces were going to work together. I wasn't sure how Jalen Wilson was going to look as the alpha. And you mentioned that this second game looked a lot better than the first. That'll happen when Jalen's drilling every pull-up 18-footer that he takes because that's what he was doing early in the game when the Jayhawks were playing in a lot of half-court offense. And it was late shot clock, no good looks, and then he just pulls up and he was drilling those. Now, you play that game back a couple more times, then maybe those shots aren't following and it does look a little bit uglier. But then... Once they got things going defensively, you realize, well, a lot of this team's offense, when they're clicking, is going to be open court, just like it was a year ago, right? Last year's team wasn't a great half-court offensive team, but they didn't play in the half-court as much as they needed to because they manufactured a lot of fast-break opportunities, and they were lethal in those fast-break opportunities. I don't know that this team will be that good, but because of how good defensively those two guards, McCuller and Harris, are going to be, I do think their bread's going to be buttered in those fast court, open court sort of situations where you can just be athletic and and finish at the rim and transition. Yeah, I I think if if you're going off things like maybe you feel most certain about through the first two games that maybe just backs up like what you thought before the season. I don't know. I I know I didn't have as many of the questions on on Jalen Wilson being kind of the go-to score, but the idea that this team was going to be good in transition that just when you have as as many wings and, and players that can grab and go off the break, it would just make sense for Kansas to be good there. And that was something that was apparent in that game. I know something that that you said on your podcast with Wave in the Wheat, and and I think you said it on, on social media as well, is this is KU's best defensive backcourt with uh, McCuller and Harris since Mario Chalmers and Russ Robinson in the 07-08 season. Do you think that, like, I guess, what do you think that's going to mean for this year's KU team? Like, could you see 
Bill Self, I'm, I'm not saying there we could come, you know, Bob Huggins with West Virginia or 40 minutes of hell with Arkansas where they're pressing all the time. But do you see that changing up? Maybe their, their playing style at all or maybe allowing them to play more of the, the small ball lineups because they can kind of swarm and double teams that even if they don't have that, that true big man down low, like they can overcome it in other ways. Yeah, I think when you th- when you talk about the, the best defensive teams that Bill Self's had, they've had one of two things. They've either had guards who can pressure ball handlers or they've had rim protectors. Rim protectors are easier to come by. You just need one guy who has length or who has discipline defensively to sort of be in the right spot and affect player shots, even if they're not prolific shot blockers. Landon Lucas wasn't a great shot blocker, but he was so smart defensively that he could alter shots without necessarily getting a bunch of swats. But when you look at Chalmers and Russell Robinson, those guys were not shut down defenders. I know like when time passes, you sort of have these more nostalgic memories about how they played, but they weren't, especially Mario Chalmers. Russ was closer to being that lockdown defender. Chalmers was just a very opportunistic defender. They knew when to take their shots and when to sort of be aggressive, trying to swipe the ball and start transition opportunities. And that was just a really nice mix. I look at McCuller and Harris, and I view them sort of the same way. I'm not sure that either one of those guys are lockdown defenders. There, there are very few lockdown defenders. Marcus Garrett might have been one. Um, Matisse Thibel might have been one in college. But for the most part, the great defenders are just guys who can get you two or three steals on a given night and get you easy buckets the other way. So that's kind of how I view them. I think that you listen to Norm Roberts' comments after the game, and he said, that was sort of part of the game plan is we wanted to trap the ball handlers and that's what they did. I feel like there are going to be a lot of opportunities for that. And the more that they do it at a high level, the more this coaching staff's going to say, okay, we can rely upon that. That's not just like a one-off. If we're facing a team whose point guard, we don't really respect that much Then we can trap. If they do it enough, then it gets to the point where you can sort of weave that into your identity and what you want to do every single night defensively. So we've seen two games. We've seen, I don't know, give or take 25, 30 minutes from like Ernest Uday, a little less than that for guys like Zach Clements and Zuby Edgefort. It certainly seems like the coaches have shown you so far who is uh, pretty much where in the center rotation, that there is kind of a hierarchy there. Do you have any any takes or, or thoughts on any of the centers or, or predictions of what you think is going to move forward here uh, at the five position? I think Ernest Uday is going to be the guy who fans are going to want to see be the starter. Honestly, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up starting versus Duke. When you talk about the length and the size that they have down low, especially with those two freshmen, it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if he's that guy. But even if it does take a while, it's clear that he gives this team their highest ceiling from that potential, from that position. Now that doesn't mean that he's going to hit it this year, because when I watch Uday, I see a guy who's got long with seven, two wingspan. I think it is. Really athletic, but he's really raw. Like, it looks really good when you're going up against, you know, tiny programs where you can just sort of lob it up to them three or four times a game and they'll finish and look really athletic in the process. In terms of what he's going to do against another legit big man or what he would have to do, and KJ for this matter as well, what would those guys look like in a game where you are forced to play in the half court? I don't think you're giving the ball to Ernest or KJ with their back to the basket, right? That's not who either one of them are yet. So we have yet to really see their limitations be tested by 
other really talented big guys. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. But we do know one thing, and the reason why they're playing right now is look at how the team's playing. The team is playing fast. They're pushing the tempo. They want to get quick, easy buckets. Those guys are fast and athletic. They play good defense. They rebound well. Tell me how Zach Clements fits into that mix. If that's what this team's identity is going to be, creating havoc defensively and running, being athletic, how does Zach Clements carve out a role? That's a guy I thought might be the starting big guy this year. And now all of a sudden, just two games in, I'm starting to wonder how exactly he fits into the picture for this team. I still think there's going to be a time we get to conference play. And because of maybe some of those questions you have about them scoring in the half court, they're going to end up playing. Maybe it happens even before then. They're going to play a team who's going to slow the tempo down. They're going to make it a half court game. And maybe there's one game where Zach Clements gets an opportunity, right? And it's going to be up to him to take it or not, right? And it might be a 15-minute game pace or something. And if he goes in there and impacts the game, then maybe that leads to 20 minutes the next game. And then if he can, you know, kind of roll through that. Like, let's not forget last year. Mitch Lightfoot had an opportunity. David mm -hmm. McCormick got benched. But then David McCormick played great off the bench. And Mitch Lightfoot didn't play as well as the starter. So there could be that opportunity there. But I do think you're right kind of uh, in the overall. All right. Did you know that over the holidays, property crimes like burglaries and package thefts Spike nationally. That's why our friends at Simply Safe Home Security are offering 50% off their award-winning security system so that more families can feel safe and secure this holiday season. Order your Simply Safe system for half off today and enjoy advanced security and greater peace of mind this holiday season. Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by US News and World Report a third year in a row. In an emergency, 24/7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real. So you can get priority police response and get things worked on fast. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system I recommend. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com/lockedoncollege today. This is their biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. That's simplysafe.com/lockedoncollege. There's no safe like Simply Safe. KU takes on Duke in the Champions Classic. Uh, tonight for the game, it's going to go at 8.30. You can hear it on KLWN and Lawrence with pregame starting at 7 o'clock. Uh, again, I don't need to get too in the weeds with this game because I don't think we've learned, you know, an over much about Duke necessarily. But uh, Duke did house their first two opponents, 73 combined points. Didn't really play anyone. You can probably say the same thing about KU. Is there anything that sticks out to you about this matchup itself? or maybe at this early stage in the season that um, you're just kind of interested in by this matchup, or is it just kind of a, a game that you think in a few months from now we're going to look back on and be like, well, it, it happened, but you know it's completely different now. I mean, yeah, we always tend to do that a little bit, is make these grand sweeping conclusions after one game, and then you go a couple months later and you say, okay, that didn't mean all that much. But I am interested to see how KU fares against a team, not just with big guys, but bigger guys and better bigger guys than pretty much any team in the country. Like, that's one thing we know. Duke has as talented as a front court as any team in the country. And they're not just like talented 6'8", 6'9". I mean, Lively's legit 6'1". Kyle Filipowski, a legit 7-foot. That guy can shoot it and stroke it. So it's like, okay, what are you going to do with these dudes? Right, and that's not it. They've got the the, the kid who transferred from uh, Northwestern. Northwestern, yeah. Yeah, Ryan Young. So 
They've got legit size, and that, to me, has already been the biggest question about Kansas. We know the wings are great. We know the guards are superb defenders, maybe the best defensive backcourt in the country. You include Bobby Pettiford into that mix. There's a lot of things to like about Kansas. But the biggest question mark, is this, it's the same question mark that we talked about before the season, Derek, which is, I don't know how this, this front court's going to shake out, and I don't know what it is that's going to earn certain guys playing time. We're going to find out. We're going to find out what this coaching staff values from that position because you are going up against a really, really, really young, unproven, but an incredibly talented front court that Duke boasts. I think whenever we see um, a team that has a lot of size against a smaller team, the, the first reaction is how are they going to defend them inside? And, and I, I just can't help but wonder going back to the, the first conversation we kind of had about this team and uh, the ability to, I don't know, create those steals and, and have Kevin McCuller and Dewan Harris. Like, remember Texas Tech last season? I mean, that that was a team that played, what, like five guys who were between 6'4 and 6'8, something like that. Like, they'd bring in that Marco Santos Silva guy who's like 6'6, stocky, like 6'7. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have like a true center. And yet, for whatever reason, well, I, I think there is a reason to it. Um, whenever like David McCormick or, or one of these other good centers in the Big 12 would go up against that team, They'd have like a down game from the centers. And yet when like David McCormick or one of these traditional centers would go up against a traditional center, that's when you'd see like the big game for, for KU or their center. And I can't help but wonder if there's something to the idea of like in the college game, the ability to double team and just have guys quickly get out there and strip the ball away and cause turnovers when you're trying to get it down low. Like I, I almost wonder if that's the way that things are going and if that's going to actually like benefit Kansas in a certain way in this game, is that a little too crazy? Probably. I mean, not, I don't know if it's crazy, but the difference between how that worked out with Dave and these guys is Dave was comfortable playing with his back to the basket. Like Dave, you could actually throw the ball to down low and defensively. I mean, Dave, do we ever talk about Dave's defense ever? Right. So that was never really a part of his identity as well. So I think you sort of had this, this overarching mentality from the coaching staff that if we do go up against a really talented big guy, we're going to have to throw multiple bodies. We're going to have to, because Dave's just not the dude you put on an Island against a really talented one-on-one -on -one score. I don't know. I mean, I guess I would say KJ is probably your best post defender, but is he, is he really a post player? He's six, seven, you know, the hair makes him look a little bit taller, but he's six. He's, he's really strong. He's a good athlete, and I, I feel like there's a there's a built-in trust level there. I mean, you had him in the game in critical situations last year. National Championship game, the Miami game, and the Sweet 16. They trust KJ defensively. We'll see how much you trust him when you're going 7'7", seven 1", seven in the front court. Like, and, and there's part of it, going back to the last question, there's part of it where you say, Duke may be the best front court in the country, the biggest, most talented front court. But that's just it. You're never going to face another team like that. So if KU struggles to defend the post tomorrow night or they struggle to get shots inside, are we really going to be sitting here on Wednesday talking about how much of an issue that is and there's a huge red flag because there's no other team that's going to present that sort of a test? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point and um, something that we should take in mind if, if that does happen. Um, I, I think it's interesting too because... I remember really well when we were, 
you know, doing shows for the week of the, the 2017 team. And they were in the Sweet 16 in Kansas City, and they played Purdue. And if you remember, that Purdue team had uh, two just giants down low with Biggie Swanigan, who was like a player of the year candidate, and I, uh, Isaac Haas, who was like the big, you know, seven, whatever, seven, three, seven, four, however tall he was. And all week long, it was like, how is Kansas going to go about defending those guys? And you would try to center yourself and say, okay, but how is Purdue going to defend Kansas, right? And I think that was a really good lesson there of, okay, but there is a counter to this. And so I think if Kansas is able to get out in transition, like everything that that we've that, that you talked about in the early going about how good they can be in transition, that gets emphasized if you're playing a team who is a little bit slower because they have a bunch of the bigs on the floor. And the one thing that Ernest Uday probably has over a Kyle Filipkowski or, you know, I don't, I don't know a ton about Derek Lively. We only saw him 14 minutes in the last game is he's an amazing rim runner. So if you can get in transition, I would think you should be good. But I guess the one scare that I have in this game from that perspective of things is whenever we talked about, okay, well, you know, there's the question of how's KU going to guard Purdue, for instance, how's Purdue going to guard Kansas? Well, Biggie Swanigan or Isaac Haas is going to have to be on like Josh Jackson. That's not going to work about KJ Adams, can KJ Adams take advantage of that on the offensive side? And that's kind of a question I have that I'm not so sure about. I mean, no, right? All of KJ's points come from hustle plays, offensive rebounding, putbacks, uh, lob passes. He's not creating a ton of offense for himself. So that'd be the other interesting part is what kind of lineups does Kansas employ? We've sort of seen their core, what they want to go to, their main lineup, and then maybe swap out KJ for Ernest and swap out McCuller or Harris for Bobby Pettiford. They haven't done a ton of experimenting with multiple big guys. I'll be interested to see. They, that to me is more what the Champions Classic is about than anything else. It's not about, okay, where are you? Where are you big issues? It's just, I want to see how this coaching staff reacts to certain situations. I want to see when they're pressed, when they're in a tight game for the first time this year, what is your natural instinct? Because that probably tells you more than anything else what they have seen in practice over the, the previous months is we're going to go to what we trust. We're going to go to what we know and what we've seen the most of. All right, in just a second, I do want to touch on a little football with you. I've got four football questions with Nick coming up to finish things off. But first, this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting information, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer, esports, college football, college basketball. You can get it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those two at BetOnline. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. Right now, you can get Kansas at plus nine and a half against Texas for football on Saturday. The over-under is 63 and a half. It's close to a pick for basketball in the Duke game. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. All right, four football questions to finish things off. Mostly a basketball show here with the Champions Classic. Uh, first question, I guess we'll just go four downs. First down. What is the furthest distance that you could make a field goal from? No. No, there is no there is no distance. Because even if it's a chip shot, I don't think that I'm A, going to get it high enough or B, be able to control it from an accuracy standpoint. So, I mean, if you're telling me I had 20 tries, mm -hmm. I might be able to, to boot a few through. 
But the idea that we would even start talking about distance is, is rather laughable. It's, this is not a distance question, Derek. What's your answer? Um, I agree with you. The accuracy would be a problem. I'd probably say I wouldn't even feel comfortable on a PAT, and that's what, 20 yards? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, and, no, and that's about right. as short as you can get. So, yeah, that's not good. So you can rule us out for uh, the kicker game. Second down, what is KU's record if Jalen Daniels plays every game this season? Oddly enough, the Texas Tech game is the one game I'm certain they would have still lost. Like Texas really? Tech just seems like, yeah, I just feel like Texas Tech is playing good football. They were sort of moving in the right direction. Um, I think they could have, I think they could have hung around the Oklahoma game. Uh, it's weird. The TCU game, Jason Bean came in and was so good. Like he was so much better than Jalen was in the first half. So it's tough to pick that one. I'll say, I don't know. Baylor just looked like a better team. I'll say what I'll say. They'd have one more win. I mean, it's, it's going back to the TCU game. You almost think that, Hey, you were so close. Like maybe you win that one, but Jason mean actually played better than, than Jalen Daniels did in the first half. I think that Oklahoma, I was talking to somebody about this and he, obviously he doesn't fix the defensive issues, but uh, somebody told me they were like, yeah, but they might score 60 or 70 on that OU defense with Jalen Daniels. So maybe that's one. I actually do think they could have beat Tech with uh, Jalen, which is weird because the offense put up over 500 yards. Like what more could they have done? But maybe less turnovers. Maybe don't throw the, the interception at the end of the half. I don't know. Uh, I guess that was maybe more of a defensive issue. Uh, third down, what is KU's record if Jason Bean plays every game this season? They probably don't win at Iowa or against Iowa State. They, I, I think they might though. I mean, that game was about the defense, right? Yeah, but Iowa State's defense was pretty solid to the point where you just needed. Here's the thing. All right, when we we're talking about Jason Bean versus Jalen Daniels, and I, and I've seen a little bit of this, maybe more before the Tech game than anything else. Is like if you want to just cross compare raw stats, that's fine. Like have at it. If you want to, if you want to check the numbers on those two guys and sort of use that to say that maybe there's not that much separation, that's fine. But think about the critical mistakes that Jason Bean has made in virtually every game that he's started for Kansas this year. It's not that he's bad for four quarters. It's not that he is single-handedly keeping you from competing in these games. It's just that one critical mistake that feels like a gut punch. It's like, couldn't have that happen right there. And because he's a backup quarterback and it's Kansas football, nobody's really been that hard on Jason, and that's fine. He is a backup quarterback for a program that hasn't done a lot of winning over the last decade. So you, you don't pile it on this kid, but uh, Jalen Daniels is a significant upgrade over, over Jason. So if Jason were starting every game, I don't think they win the West Virginia game. I don't think they win the Iowa State game. Jalen was amazing against Duke. Yeah, and Duke. Close because that game was tight. That game was tighter down the stretch. So uh what's KU's record right now? Six They're and six four. Six and four. So you just took away three wins. They're now three and seven. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about right. All right. Last one. Fourth down. True or false. Lance Leipold should win Big 12 coach of the year if he wins one of the last two games and TCU loses once. I mean, you, you could make a pretty strong case that he should win it no matter what. You should. It's going to be really hard, though, if Sonny Dykes is 12-0, 13-0, right? I know, but 
Hell, every everybody voting on that poll is is well aware of how terrible Kansas has been, and the fact that they they won two games last year, Derek. They won two games last year, and Lance Leipold has got them bowl eligible with three games to play. What's that worth to you, as opposed to TCU that has been a model of consistency ever since they got in the Big Twelve and even before that when they were Mountain West? Yeah, I. I think it's fair. I think, I mean, hey, I was on board you? last. I, if you go undefeated, man, you make the playoff. That's tough. Like, it's not like TC was great last year, right? They went five and seven. Um, so if he goes undefeated, which, I'm which, giving it to him. Which team's having a more surprising season? If I would have told you before the year yeah. that TCU was going to be the number one team in the Big 12, you'd say, you know what? I don't see it, but it's TCU. So blah, blah, blah. If I would have told you that Kansas was going to win six games, you'd say, hmm. Excuse me? Yeah. How they get into six? Isn't that how we yeah, vote a, on these awards anyway? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think TCU was going like 18 to 1, 20 to 1 to win the Big 12 before the season started. If you would have approached to Vegas, I don't know if you could have got this a sports book and been like, hey, what odds can I get on Kansas to win six games? They're like, we have it at two and a half. Yeah. Uh, it's probably better than that, right? So uh, maybe that's right. Maybe that's the right way of putting it. Well, Nick, appreciate the time as always, man. You can check him out, waving the wheat, subscribe to that podcast, and uh, see you next week. Thanks, man. All right, that is Nick Schwartz joining us here with Locked on Jayhawks. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thank you to Nick for hopping on. I'm Derek Johnson. If you have anything you'd like for the show to talk about, hit me up at D Johnson Radio on Twitter. You can also comment on the YouTube page. Subscribe there. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. And don't forget uh, that you can do that on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. That'll do it for today's episode. Have a good rest of your day. We will recap the Duke game on tomorrow's show, and I'll see some of you on Rock Chalk Sports Talk later today.